All right, quick little monologue for you. Dustin the optimist remains intact. Optimist shouldn't be for opt optimistic, pardon me, shouldn't be confused with Pollyanna. I am acutely aware that all is not wonderful in the world. However, my confidence in human in ingenuity, innate kindness, and a deep drive to survive outweighs any skepticism that I might have that we're going to screw things up beyond all repair. So I remain optimistic about a lot of different things, including mortgage world. Those who know me well know that I always look to the numbers, lots and lots and lots of numbers, while also realizing that very few among us, myself included, will act based on the numbers. Instead, we will act based on emotions. And as circumstances change, so do our emotions, or if you're wired like me, your emotion. And our views of what the future holds shift along with those emotions. And the emotions, of course, are largely driven by the stories we ingest and the stories we retell. I've had some really tragic, horrific stories told to me lately. I don't retell them to anybody. I'm tempted to because there's that like gossip gene that we all have to some extent. And you kind of want to, have you heard? Uh, but I don't do that because it's not helpful to the next person that I'm telling that story to. And it's not helpful to me to repeat it. So be careful about how much news, you know, news you allow into your life and how much of it you push into other people's lives. News is a product, kind of like fast food is a product. It's not healthy, to, certainly, to overdo it. And it's not great to feed it to your kids or your friends either. So if you want to understand the world better, don't turn on the TV pick up a book, right? Or listen to a book. One that applies right now that I just finished uh, last night, Ray Dalio, author of Principles, an excellent book, just wrote a new book called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. And it talks about 75-year cycles. And it, it's, it's a fascinating book. And it is a lot different than the news. It may still freak you out. It may still get some emotions going. But it's just really well laid out and gives you a bigger picture, and you can hear my voice calms down as I think about the book. Now, how does that relate to mortgages? Well, look, less fast food news is helpful, right? A deeper understanding of how the world around us works and learning how best to remain adaptable to this changing world, that's what matters. And with mortgages, less emotion, more math. I know it's an uphill battle, but less emotion, more math. Property values, for instance, they will unquestionably be higher, say, seven years from now here in BC. I can make that statement with a pretty high degree of confidence. Yeah, there's a dip coming. It's already started. There's a dip from, from the last peak. That's what, identif what identifies the last peak, right? The valley leading up to the next peak. So how long will this dip last? How deep will the valley get? X will differ from market to market. It always has. Was your market on fire for the first time in forever? Well, it could take a long time to catch fire a second time, and it could take a lifetime, in fact. Or as your market kind of always had these steady yo-yo on an escalator uh, movements. That's a lot of what's happened in my own market that I live in. And the bigger question, of course, is has Zoom fundamentally changed the way we work and live in a more lasting way? Because that's going to impact some of those markets that had their first ever boom uh, a little differently. And my money says, yes, Zoom has fundamentally changed our work uh, life structure. It has. And my money is literally now in one of those smaller outlying areas, 45 minutes north of downtown Vancouver. So I'm eating my own cooking here. 
And by the way, the whole seven years thing, I've been using that number for about 25 years. And in the BC market, it's always held up. Not so much as some of us might recall in the Ontario market. In Ontario, there was a peak, a very peaky peak in 1989. And the valley after that peak lasted for 27 years thereabouts before that same level was hit again. So in other words, by the time people paid that house off that they bought at the absolute peak, just as their amortization, 25 to 30 years, as they paid it off, it was worth what they paid for it. And then it kept on going. So if they wrote it out, not so bad, not so bad. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at that peak, if you bought just two years earlier in 1987, on the way up to that peak, it never actually dropped below that 1987 value. And if you bought in 1988, it was nowhere near 27 years to get back to that value. So, you know, timing matters. Absolutely. So does location, 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 because if you bought in the right location, well, you know, if you bought in 1987, sure, you lost the 50% gain that happened over the first two years of ownership, pardon me, you know, 87 to 89. But again, like it never really dropped below what you paid. And over the long run, it does come back. And it's the folks buying, as I say, in that last little bit of run-up that can have an exponentially longer wait to get back to even. But here's the point I wanted to make. Many, many Canadians in particular will do just that. They will sit and wait. They bought that house to live in, to raise a family in. The mortgage payments are typically less than rent. So, hey, ride it out. Uh, you know, we can have a dog, we can have a cat, we can paint the walls whatever color we want. Um, We'll be making payments one way or the other. Let's just ride it out and see where it goes. And that'll be the plan for many. So that's where it's all headed. There are certainly some influential people telling their stories about their market. And we know markets tend to become the stories we tell about them. A little bit like children tend to fulfill the labels we put on them, the stories we tell about our kids. So be careful what label you apply to your kids and to your market. I mean, my view, I have two of the greatest kids on the planet, who I continually encourage to keep making smart choices. Make smart choices, that's uh, what I throw at them all the time. And I compliment them on having made many smart choices. And also, I live in the greatest spot in the, on the planet. I really do. I mean, I believe I do. Don't you believe that about where you live? I mean, you live in the greatest spot on the planet, not me. I get it. But the point is we get what we ask for. We really do. One billionaire with uh, influence has a uh, a super bad feeling about the economy, which is fine because most of us have had an increasingly bad feeling about him because he kind of appears a little robot-like, like feeling. It was interesting that he said he had a feeling. Zero feelings at all from what we've seen in, in other areas. There's also the statement by the Bank of America um, that the summer from hell is coming. Thanks, guys. I mean, I know that's the kind of insight that I look for from my bank. Like, seriously, the summer of hell is coming. Super useful. So it sounds like statistically out there in the investing world, uh, it's millennials who've taken a real hammering, unable to maybe get into the market to buy a piece of real estate. Uh, they headed into the crypto world. And, you know, that's been its own experience. Whereas right now in the real estate world, it's really just this small group of homeowners who bought about 45 days either way of Valentine's Day that are getting hammered so far. Now that that may expand, right? Uh, will that peak, how, how wide will the base of that peak be? Will it be 90 days wide? Will it be nine months wide? Will it be two years wide? Uh, will it be 27, well, 14, 13 and a half years wide? We shall see. 
which group can afford to absorb the loss though, right? Which group do you call it a paper loss for? One loss feels a lot more permanent than the other. I mean, you can't live inside crypto, but you can live inside your house and you can't panic sell your real estate. There's no key on the end of the keyboard to hammer, sell and liquidate. It's, it's much more illiquid. And that's actually what's protected most people who own real estate from themselves and allowed them to build that wealth over the long term. So personally, I'll stick to real estate. And even with our government making moves, such as a temporary foreign buyer ban, that's just not going to have any impact. It's just not. Foreign buyers were never part of the problem. That's just politics and some optics. That's all that is. And really populist optics, not great optics at all. I mean, what about the foreign buyer encouragement? Uh, or pardon me, the foreign buyer sales, I should say. China has encouraged its citizens to sell all foreign assets, including Canadian real estate and Canadian businesses. So maybe we don't need to worry about foreign buyers. Maybe we're going to have to start worrying about foreign sellers. But again, I really don't believe they were ever that huge part of the market. And for that portion of foreign owners that decide they want to sell, I think the domestic demand and the support is there. It's 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 right there. It's going to gobble up that supply. So interesting timing, though, for, for you know Canada saying, we're not going to let you buy here anymore, and China saying, sell what you got. Next up on the agenda, the final piece of this conversation, just kicking in quantitative tightening, QT, which will not occur on the QT. It's probable that there will be very notable impact as the money supply shrinks, basically less money in the system, but then again, Canadians still have $300 billion in their bank accounts, more than they had going into the pandemic. So there's that, that $300 billion, That's a lot of dollars that could continue to keep the inflation numbers moving the wrong way. And I mean, I just ran into a tradesman who'd peeled all the vinyl deckling off his van. You can see the outline still, uh, but he peeled all the outlining off of the name and the phone number and everything else about what he did for, for a living because he's booked all the way into next year. He can't, he, he, the answering of the phone was taking up too much time. He doesn't want anybody to call him. He just needs to do the jobs he's got lined up into 2023. And he said, people don't care what things cost anymore. They just care if he can come do it. No more haggling, just pleading to please show up and do it. So what does all that boil down to these 956 words? You guessed it, life is variable and your mortgage should be too. The mortgage I took two years ago, that one was variable. The mortgage I signed December 23rd of last year, that's variable. It's still variable. I'm not locking in. The mortgage I'm going to take in a couple of months from now on a new purchase, that's going to be variable. That's my opinion based on my emotions, on based on my reading, based on my understanding of the market. It'll be different for you. I understand that. But do a little deeper research than the evening news. I beg of you. And if you're a client watching this, have a conversation with your broker. Have a conversation with your broker. Stay variable, my friends. Over and out.